another episode of Crypto with English. Today, we're going to explore where you could say technology and democracy meets and what that interstice more or less looks like in the face of all of the interesting and you could even say catastrophic world events that we are more or less facing today. I'd like to introduce to you all uh, Dieter Brockmeyer. So he's an internationally recognized media and innovation expert, keynote speaker and moderator whom I've had the pleasure of uh, also being a co-speaker and panelist with at D4A in Barcelona. He's also the chief project officer of the Diplomatic World Institute. And we are going to cover an array of topics and issues today to see where these two worlds meet, political systems and technology. He's also the author of the book Pandemia's Box, which is available on Amazon. And perhaps we can talk a little bit about that as well. Dieter, it's great seeing you again. Thank you for coming on to my show today. How are you? Oh, and, um, it's always a pleasure talking to you. We had a blast in, in Barcelona, so I, yes. I'm really enjoying uh, being on the show today. And only a few, um, a little correction of this very complete introduction of myself. I'm Chief Project Officer of Diplomatic World, a media project around for 20 years. Uh, where um, uh, what is a, a magazine in Brussels, and plus of, on top of that, I'm the director of innovation at the Diplomatic World Institute. So it's two entities I'm I'm representing. Wonderful. So going going from that, where do you think where do you think society and technology is heading to right now? Given you could say the events playing out in Europe right now, especially on the front between the uh, the war of Russia and Ukraine, and the I guess you could say the uh, the insurrection or the near insurrection going on going on in Russia with uh, Prigozhin and the Wagner Group, what does this mean for technology and politics, and what kind of whirlwind or what kind of world are we going to be facing soon? Well, technology is. Um always stays the same we uh, we are progressing and sometimes political uh, situations can change can slow down uh, political progress Um, uh, but usually it's the technology advancement that is changing things and that creates instability and i think uh, that's the phase we are in right now uh, because so the so long balance we were faced with is just challenged because in Asia, they are advancing, uh, advancing very fast. And um, yeah, uh, this is really changing political systems. And so I think we are in the process of rewriting the political map, and I hope we, uh, we can handle it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And when I, I believe when I first uh, met you, uh, this was at D4A in Barcelona, one of the things you were highlighting and talking about was Pandemia's Box. Could you talk a little bit about your, your publication there? And let's say why people should give it a read or give it a peek. Well, um, uh, we launched, uh, the Diplomatic World Institute was launched in 2019 and we started right into the pandemic. And one of the first projects was uh, was what was con- uh, supposed to be the World Innovation Trophy. But then the situation changed rapidly, or well, it, the situation didn't change, but so many things 
became more than obvious or over obvious that that had changed um, that had slowly changed and suddenly driven by the pandemic it became obvious so we so we had to we felt we had to alter the concept and we came up with a holistic world innovation trophy but if you do something like that uh, you have to explain it and yeah um so the white paper that it was intended to be turned into a book and it's basically just explaining the concept of a more holistic approach on innovation because what the, the fundamental is that we do need a new innovation culture for the for the simple reason that um yeah techno change driven by technology um, is speeding up so much that if we are not, and a lot of people still can't handle it, uh, that pe people are longing back their old comfort zones. And that's why uh, a lot of our societies get into turmoil because, um, yeah, we have to learn to em uh, embrace um, innovation accept it because the technology will be there and once it is there that's like a uh, like a pandora's box once it's there it's not going to go away either right. you use it and you do things with it or um it is doing things with you and well i think we will we both agree that's the worst thing to do so we need to drive towards a new culture of innovation to be able to tackle all the change we are faced with and i'm sure you uh, you will agree we are only it, it's only the beginning of change and it, it will become much more and much faster so the next decades will be uh, are likely to be a very rough ride for everybody right so i guess it would be fair to say without that proper appreciation or understanding for various technologies that are important today, you know, instead of, I, I guess the dichotomy would be, you're going to end up being the car instead of the driver, not the other way around. I think as humans, it's better to be the driver, right? Uh, I'd always prefer that for sure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, what, and what are your feelings on, I'm sorry, were you going to say something? No, no, uh, go ahead. Right. So, Dovetailing off of that, you know, what does the future look like as to where we are with artificial intelligence, the issues that chat GPT presents to the world, and you could say the possibility of artificial intelligence being, you could somehow, I guess in another way, can be weaponized against us, or maybe this is how humans can weaponize uh, a very promising technology against itself. I mean, already there are, you could say, uh, contingencies. There are, you know, movements to regulate artificial intelligence, which is, which is, you know, a very, very important thing. So, uh, some of your thoughts on those? Well, um, I'm really um, a little bit torn on that. The regulation, okay. of course, um, you need some sort of regulation. But what's happening right now, no, not only in, uh, in, in artificial intelligence, we, we have to, we see the same thing in blockchain, only that now uh, artificial intelligence, intelligence is in the hype phase. So everybody is talking about it and everybody is focusing on it right now. 
But the problem stays in all these technologies the same. They need to be re regulated to some point. But if you start too early, uh, uh, then you tend to overregulate it. And actually, you don't know what to regulate at that point when you start regulating it. And, uh, and when you do that, what is uh, happening? And that's what I have the feeling here in Europe is happening with this artificial intelligence regulation scheme the European Union is right. um, approaching, uh, that, uh, yeah, just a lot of possibilities are stopped instead of just looking where things are going wrong and then uh, uh, are acting very targeted. No, so you now do, uh, do uh, use a pump gun and do anything and just regulate anything that possibly can go wrong. And sure. You, you create a lot of harm with this approach. Right. So, but we have, but we do have that in many fields. So when you look, when we are in social media and the, the fake news debate, the, the, uh, the regulation approaches are very fast moving things, first emotional reactions. And basically what we do is we not tackling the problems that are become visual by the fake news phenomena we rather try to to block opinions uh, we don't like but uh, what we do if we really follow up, follow on that is we are definitely harming our democracy so we have to be very careful and we have to be, uh, find new forms of, of regulation and actually tackling the problems that become visible by the phenomena rather than uh, trying to stop the phenomena because we know from history this never worked and you right. caused a lot of harm to, by, by trying it. Right. Those are very, very excellent points. And to perhaps speak further on that, would it be fair to say, are one of your concerns the fact that with where regulation is, there could be something called an overcorrection? Where because maybe, let's say, it is premature, whatever regulation is, you know, drafted and implemented, it's going to cover too much where a lot of the good projects be swept up. A lot of the good projects are going to, let's say, be harmed by something that may be an overregulation. Well, you always have two tendencies, um, and you have to find a way in between. One, uh, one is the, uh, the overregulation issue. And the other point is, yeah, well, missing the point of regulation, going the, going the wrong way. Uh, so uh, this is, of course, a very tricky part, and we have to be very careful. And this is, uh, can only be solved, I think, by a combined uh, so, uh, attempt in the society. And uh, you need a very wide discussion of, of the issues involved. And... Um, draw your learnings from from there and then take your action and uh, rather than just start acting and see what's happening because then you you're doing harm what right. is happening here in Europe with all the overall reaction we are very slow in um, in digitalization and in adapting the new technologies and new forms so the big tech companies are all in, either in the U.S. or now increasingly in China. None of them in Europe. Right. Uh, but this has to do right. with our overregulating approach very much. Uh, we are um, we are putting our future at risk, and um, 
Yeah. So that's a very particular European problem. And uh, I don't know how to handle that. Maybe it's just a phase and then the, in, in the next step, we are the, we are picking up and doing better. But at the moment, it's, it just seems like this very, this artificial structure of the European Union with all these right. many stakeholders that all have different interests and that that, uh, that is increasing the problem and this feudal approach is just making things either slow or too uh, too stiff but um, but I, very often uh, this is from an inside view from Europe where uh, you probably will tell me that similar uh, observations in in the US that, that I'm just not aware, cannot be aware, aware of because I'm not inside the system well I'll tell you this you raised an excellent point there is a binary going on the you could say these centers of tech in the world are effectively either in the United States and China as to, you could say, the major tech companies, the major AI, the major, you could almost say engine behind overall tech. So from that, which is an excellent point you raised, you know, ultimately, I think it's going to be something where one system is going to be built to be against the other. So I think when it comes to regulation, there's going to be, I think, either a lot more haste and perhaps misunderstanding as to what needs to be regulated and what not, and I guess you could say what does not or should not be regulated. So generally speaking, I guess if we were to look at the tech industry, or you could say the tech sector of the United States, and you know, normally you think of you know, everything and anything coming out of either Silicon Valley or New York City and you know, a few things like that. And then, um, you know, being cognizant of, let's say, the situation in China and their giant, you could almost say, tech and AI engine behind a lot of their projects. Obviously, TikTok is one of the, uh, you, you could almost say, the, the big, uh, <laughs> big names that comes up on, on their end. So I, I guess the thing is, is that I wouldn't say that, <laughs> I guess some would argue that we're more or less in a Cold War right now. I guess you could say as a, uh, <laughs> as a parallel to... 30 years ago, because you pointed that out, and which is, I think, largely, that, that's very true, and I think it's a very, very great observation. I, my fear is, is that regulation as to artificial intelligence is going to be built upon, or at least is going to be greatly influenced on the U.S. versus China issue. You know, obviously, we have the situation in Taiwan. Obviously, we have the geopolitical issues um, of other things as well. In the long, you could almost say, history of, you could say, <laughs> um, technological espionage and you know, stealing of intellectual property from the, from the mm. United States. So given, given those... Not only the say, United States. Yes, right. Yes, correction. Not just the United <laughs> and States, they but don't from, need from to everywhere. Steal it. Fact, and they, from don't everywhere. Need to they don't need to steal it. I mean... Right. Um, here in uh, in Germany, they uh, acquired not long ago a, a leading robotics company, and of course, uh, suddenly own all these patents and can transfer it uh, for, for their companies. Uh, and for very long, we just were not aware of um, of this possibility. Right. And of course, this is creating a lot of uh, 
uh, trouble and is uh, in, uh, increasing the speed of of the shift towards Asia of influence. Right, right, right. And I, I didn't hear of that story. However, that has been the story of not just incidents in the United States, but also all across the world as, as well. You could almost say various agents and parties absconding and stealing intellectual property. And mm. that is going to continue to be a growing problem. But to your point, my fear would be is that the framework to regulate AI is going to be something that's going to be potentially very, very expedient and not necessarily well thought out of. And if I think if it's built around the overall, let's say, U.S.-China dichotomy, there's going to be more of a, I guess you can say more, there's going to be a more fear-driven overcorrection type of scheme built around that. So whether it's, let's say, starting in the EU and then it goes elsewhere versus, let's say, a more nuanced, thorough and thoughtful, you could say, regulation to to address and you you could say regulate this in a in a meaningful way because i do believe without a doubt you're going to have a lot of great projects coming out we're already going to see a lot of great projects coming out mm. depending on where the regulation is uh that may end up destroying a lot of great ideas that may never ever have a chance to materialize and let, let's say bestow various benefits on society, whether it's in the EU, US, or, or elsewhere? I see it differently because the ideas that can't be followed up in the US or Europe will be followed up in Asia and, and, and the other way around. Right. And, if it is, and if it is good ideas, um, they, will be, um, they will be succeed one way or the other, uh, either maybe not instrumentalized in a way well, we would prefer it because we didn't do it. Right. But the uh, the ideas at some point, if it is something that is brings anything forward, either in controlling when you have a control approach, sure, or in creating ideas and helping to bring advanced science or something like that, it will happen at some point. Maybe not today, because the idea has been killed in the US by re over regulation sure. it, it it will at some point it will come back um, uh, from a different angle and th right. that's pretty pretty sure it, it's just it, it just may delay or even speed up we don't know right and to one of your interesting points earlier and like I said I never thought about it really until now speaking to you on this episode so you, you mentioned the two main centers of tech effectively being the two, you could say, two of the three major superpowers, U.S. versus China. Now, from my point of view, I know, I know of Europe, and I've spent a lot of time in Europe, where when I think of tech centers, I actually do think of areas like Berlin. I think of Zug Valley in Switzerland. I think of, I think of Malta, Cyprus. I think of even Lisbon. Like, uh, By the way... Mm -hmm. That's a bit more nuanced because I regularly go over to those places. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying necessarily that's something that the average person over here who's not involved in tech may, may know about. But in your opinion, why do you think uh, in Europe, let's say, you, you or at least from your perspective, you feel that the two main, you could say, big bodies here are U.S. and China and Europe is just kind of caught in the middle? 
What uh, and do you think that does have to come? That does derive from overregulation, if that's the reason. Well, um, there's a lot of great talent here, and there are excellent hubs like Lisbon, yes. Barcelona, uh, London, for Barcelona, sure. Barcelona, yes, yeah. London, but London is on a, is not the EU anymore. Um, right. So um, the, they act they act differently, and even when they were in the EU, they, they acted differently. Right. Um, so um, it's very hard uh, to compare all these locations because sure. they all have different approaches. Uh, Malta, for instance, is a small island. They are looking for for an opportunity to to survive as a as a state and to uh, make something with their little plot of land. Um, right. I I like it a lot because it has it has a great atmosphere there. Um, so. Uh, it's all completely different places, and they they can add they could add a lot to the to the global economy, and they do. A lot yes. of these people at some point go to the U.S., uh, not to China because of the, there are too much cultural differences, but sure. go to the to, to the U.S. and suddenly be, become very successful there with their ideas. So it doesn't mean that these also this doesn't mean that that these ideas are not. Um, do not materialize. They just don't uh, materialize in Europe. And this right. was a problem we have for a very long time when you remember the MP3 standard for for mobile, uh, mobile music. It was developed in Europe, but nobody could actually in Germany. and uh, But it couldn't be monetized here until the point when Apple was buying it. And as we say, the rest is history. I was just going to ask about that. Yes, the MP3 standard uh, starting mm -hmm. in Germany. And Ironically, it was not monetized there, mm -hmm. which was a very, very uh, unusual thing. So I guess perhaps it does go to your point about the regulatory mm -hmm. schemes being at least a little too harsh. Well, but it also has to do that we have a very diversified market, uh, very diversified cultures, um, languages. So if you set sure. up a service, um, you have the larger unified market in the US, sure. including Canada and, and stuff. So, uh, right. so I think this too is a, it's something you have in advance of, of Europe that, that makes it a, easier uh, to roll out ideas in a, in a bigger way. Interesting. Those are very, very uh, you know, in, interesting points to, to uh, say the least. So do you feel that trend will continue where a lot of these great ideas that may end up starting in Europe, they're going to end up going elsewhere, like let's say to the United States. Like, do you see that continuing? Or do you see maybe something different given the current climate or given the current situation? Well, it's uh, very hard uh, to, um, to predict. And uh, my class bowl is really as dull as yours on the, on this uh, right now so many things are changing yes. and uh, we can't be sure uh, how lo how long this leading position of the US uh, will go on there are a lot right. of that are predicting that the that the US um, leadership is kind of turning to a, to an uh, is in a final phase and uh, that we are go going into this uh, well-praised Asian or not praised or feared Asian right. age. 
Right. I don't know if this is going to happen, but of course, empires at some point um, end. And so this too, just from history, at some point will also happen to the to the leadership of the US. I'm not sure if that is happen already happening. There's a lot of trouble in the US. We are all of, uh, aware of that. So um, it's very hard to predict uh, what will happen or how th fast things will uh, develop. Yes, sir. So this will be part of the rough of the rough ride in the next decades to figure that out or to deal with it, whatever happens. Adam. Hi. So you, I think you hear me you again. Had a little freeze. Yes. Yeah, I hear you again. I'm here. Good, we're not right. live. You... Yeah, good thing, right? <laughs> so anyway, uh, you were saying about uh, essentially the world becoming such where you don't essentially have a, a U.S. a U.S. led or at least not as strong of a U.S presence you could say in the in in the overall you could say global framework and listen I, I think for years that's been talked about here in the united states as well i think given the economic problems the embroilment in certain you know overseas wars uh hyperinflation i guess you could say the deindustrialization of the united states where after you know let's say after uh after mm -hmm. world war ii and throughout the cold war at least the first half of the cold war the u.s is you could say power behind the dollar was not necessarily just the military, but it was actually our industrial base, the factories. Mm -hmm. And then it, as the 70s, late 70s to early 80s came along, many of those jobs or much of that sector was completely outsourced. It was southwards towards Mexico, eastwards towards uh, China, southeast as mm -hmm. well, you know, Southeast Asia as mm -hmm. well. So a lot of these things um, have been unraveling, at least in the background, for over 30 years. But listen, now it's turning around. Now it's turning around. Suddenly, the you, everybody is realizing that this uh, this was, at some degree, is a good idea, but not sure. in the consequence it was uh, it was performed. So right. suddenly, we are we starting to investing in uh, new factories here in Europe, but also in the in the U.S. Uh, so, and what's happening in China? You don't know. Uh, I mean, sure. the, the the Chinese market is the. Uh, it's not very visible to us in many ways, or right. we don't know, we don't understand a lot of it, and we always see okay, there's potentially economic trouble in China, and if some of these bubbles uh, deflate, they, they will have a huge impact, and this also will have a huge impact on um, how China is progressing. So maybe sure. so at some point, this also we could can suddenly find out that everything is completely def uh, different than we imagine today. I'm not saying it will happen, but um, uh, but there is a huge risk and also for more instability because uh, you know how autocratic um, re regimes react when they, uh, when they think that they are losing control. So um, right. There, uh, right. there's a lot of risk we are faced with right now. Right. And... With the situation with China, 
as more and more information has been coming out in Europe and the United States, they've also been greatly uh, altering and if not outright lying on their, you could say, their, their statistics for over 20 years as well. Mm -hmm. So in fact, you know, they, I guess, given the one child policy, I believe that was put into place in the late 70s, early 80s, which was just lifted, I think about seven or eight years ago, what has come out is now the fact that you have a very, very aging population and people, younger people, are not having families or children to replace, you could say, the other parts of the population that are leaving the economy. You have people that are retiring. You have the elderly. So China is in a very similar situation to even other countries across Asia, where because you could say the economy was not as stable, at least as originally perceived, much like even in areas of the West, people are not having families anymore, or people are not really having children, or at least not having as many children anymore. So now uh, many countries, and especially China, and in fact, China is, if not the biggest country facing this, because, because you could say the, the population, or you could say the consumer population, is not being refilled, so to say. Because, because you have a escalatingly, you could say, aging population at the same time with no, with no essentially new population to fill in that part of the workforce or fill in that part of the market. What, is, what exactly is going to happen? Now, I know that was a bit of a long-winded way to, to explain that. I, I would say, though, uh, the economic power they have been projecting it seems to be like this to a lot of people. It's it's not as in many ways as strong as originally thought of. Still very strong regardless, but not as much. And I think a lot of it is the fact that there is no access or at least no genuine access to very accurate information within within their country, given, you could say, mm. the, the current Communist Party with Xi Jinping. And it seems like with Xi Jinping, uh, the country has become even more uh, militaristic and more closed off to the world over time. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, we uh, we always have these these phases. Uh, right. When you look in, in history, it's always uh, more militant, and then it's becoming more more liberal again. Right. Uh, and point. now we are, uh, and it's it's always a pendulum going from one side to the other. And the, the stronger it goes to one side, the stronger it also will. Uh, roll back to the, to the other end, so we have to we have to live to, with that uh, because it seems that we all know that from uh, from history lessons and or should know that. Right. But uh, it looks like every generation has to do the same uh, experiences all over again for themselves. Uh, they sure. always think they do it better. Sometimes they do, but very often they're just repeating the mistakes. Um, we have to find a way to handle with it because the the problem is becoming more complex every day, uh, really. Yes. And uh, we are trained, or as a species, we are uh, conditioned to go for short-term solutions because in the past this was uh, rescuing us. Sure. Uh, if I was, I, like uh, I had a problem, then I. I had to see where do, do I get my food and how do I get this guy out of the way so I can access sure. his food and secure 
something for my families to live better. And this made us um, and this made us prosper for a very long time. But uh, by by now the, the problems have grown so so complex that this is doesn't work. Uh, this doesn't work anymore. We have to we have to work much stronger together. We have to analyze much more forward looking. But yes. uh, we but this is a problem for us because that's not how we are built. Very true. And uh, this will be one of the big issues we uh, we will have to overcome if we want to to, uh, to tackle this situation. And um you 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 never uh, you you can't tell how you know, how things are developing um uh, in the next moments because they are sure. so complex and but actually that well you were you were mentioning that the population in china is declining and very much so also by now in india and on right. one hand this is causing problems of course in the economy on the other hand uh, we have what eight billion people now on the right. on the planet. Yes, that's. I think we all agree that is a lot, and yeah. some of our problems with climate change are, is also caused by the you uh, by the vast number of people we are by now. When I was uh, was a kid, we had two we had two billion, and it's not that long ago. I mean, sure. it is, but I'm not saying how long it's right. But it's a while. Right. But within 50 years, so now I said it, uh, <laughs> uh, within 50 years, um, we, three, uh, we have three times or even four times the population we had back then. And this is a huge growth rate. Um, right. And uh, if and so that uh, if we are getting, if the pop world population is shrinking again, this actually right. probably is helping to solve our problems. But on the other hand, of course, our um, our econo uh, economic system is growth based. So right. when you have declining population, uh, can you keep up with growth? I think also here, point, right? I'm not I'm not questioning capitalism itself, but. I, um, uh, but what we will have to question is, uh, is, a, is a, this cross, uh, this cross uh, dogma uh, we are following right now. Right. Those are some excellent points. And by the way, to add to your joke, when I was a kid, the world population was 5 billion. And <laughs> not like that helps so we much. Can, uh, we can, right. we can uh, different in generations. <laughs> right, right. And when I was a little kid, that was a big deal too. So like, oh, the... I think it was about 5.3 billion. So this, so I think this is like early nineties. And, and I remember learning that in school, like, Oh wow, like 5 billion. That number was like uh, very, very hard to conceptualize. And now it's, now it's like eight and a half or at least 8 billion and change. So I can, I can only imagine the issues that are going to be arising. You could say for the next generation, once we start hitting 10 or, or maybe mm -hmm. 11 from there. And, you know, listen to your, and to your point as well, uh, Listen, I, I think we we can absolutely or should absolutely question our you know our systems as well, and you know maybe to your point as well, if we're going to talk about capitalism in and of itself, maybe we are facing the eventual problem of you could say the dragon eating its tail, uh, seeing where kind of a lot of things have been going. You see the rising mortality rates across societies, both in excuse me the United States. And even in Europe, and a lot of those things can be traced to, you know, 
food scarcity, lack of job security, you could say even even inflation. You know, it, it is certainly so that the society that you and I are living right now is by far more uncertain than, let's say, the generation of our parents, so mm. to say. So for I think, uh, and this is not necessarily an insult at the older generations, but I think the old adage, like, you know, we had it harder than you, it doesn't exist anymore, in fact. And, and mm. as we are seeing the world play out in real time, whether it's my parents' generations or yours, you know, people with, let's say, one income were able to just secure a house, they're able to get a car, they're able to kind of enjoy a very, almost a higher standard of living where in this day and age, it takes a lot more money and effort to achieve. Mm. So, and, and, and where does that come from? Uh, it, it probably comes from a lot of places. Uh, I would definitely say deindustrialization, at least on the part of the United States, for sure. And maybe you could even say the over-globalization of at least the American economy has been a contributor to economic instability here. Mm -hmm. I can't speak to Europe, but there is a lot of research and data supporting that. So for people in the United States, there's going to be people who say, well, look what capitalism had, or at least you could say our version of capitalism has done to, let's say, the automaking industry in Detroit, Michigan, which at one point, the United States was the leader in making uh, automobiles. There was a period of time, and then it disappeared. Yeah, uh, but there is a lot of sides to the coin, and this actually sure. shows shows how complex this entire situation is. More like a Dungeons and Dragons dice. Because, I, maybe that's... Uh, because on the other hand, um, when when you see what's happening right now here in Germany, we have a Korean government, right, and they want to tackle climate change. So, uh, so suddenly they want everybody to uh, to change the heating systems in their homes from rural gas sure. to um, uh, well to electric or what they called uh, heat pumps. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that trans, but you understand. So yes. uh, it probably translates. So uh, and again by the means of overregulation. And they will have to they will have to invest a lot of money to help people to fund it because a lot of homeowners will not be able to pay for that. Right. And so that's either the these people are forced to sell their homes to big companies, and that's actually the opposite that you should uh, you should intend, right. or you have to pump in a lot of money instead of going to market di diameters that will uh, the, the, uh, that will make it automatically because all everybody is agreeing the, the, the point why Germany the, I know this I'm always referring to that because that's the example I know best right. was uh, was recovering after the war, war so fast was because of capitalism because uh, everybody suddenly realized hey I can make money again and they went for it Right. And the same thing uh, will happen here. Give the, the people something to invest in um, uh, in new heating. Uh, why they should invest in new heating systems? Uh, this technology is very successful in Norway. Why? For the simple reason because the price for electricity for used in heaters is cut or is capped four cents per um, per, per kilowatt. While it's right. in Germany, 40 cents or something like that. 
So why were flat screen TVs? This was within five or ten years. Everybody had a flat screen TV. Okay. Yeah. Now they're relatively so much, cheap. Much lower investment. But on the other hand, people just realized the advantages of it. It was easier to move around. It wasn't taking up as much space in the home. It had higher quality, and well, it was cheap. Uh, they were cheap too, or became cheap very fast. So right. that's why within five or ten years, most TV sets were uh, were uh, were exchanged from this old uh, tube, uh, heavy tube things to um, to modern type things, and that's basically also what you have uh, to follow alongside this when you when you tackle these problems. Not right. not shocking everybody with you have to invest a lot of money within the next five years. This will not work. Right. Right. And you know, that, that dovetails into my next point. So I was reading, I guess you could say issue number 71 of Diplomatic World magazine. And a fair amount of this focused on the UN 2023 Water Conference. So, you know, I do know you have a background and you do some work in sustainability. I was wondering if you could talk about progress from a, from, from a global point of view as to where we are in sustainability and even how much more progress that we need to work on. Uh, I believe it's still half the world faces, you know, lack of clean access to water, for instance. And, you know, there's also other things going on around that as well. So uh, if you could, you know, perhaps uh, talk about some of those things. Well, yes, um, actually, it, uh... It's not a new topic because sure. uh, lost. Uh, it, it, it's actually just lining with, with, with what we just said. Because I was uh, speaking in a conference last year, uh, where uh, where it was uh, in, in Geneva, where we talked about monetizing natural assets. Okay. Well, what was exact? Uh, what is exactly that? And uh, there was this uh, Ralph Shami, he was a director at the work uh, at the World Monetary Fund. And now he launched his own company and he's doing exactly that, uh, like seeing how much seagrass the Bahamas could could grow on their um, on their um, on their coasts, and how much carbon this would uh, um, this, uh, this would store and sure. what this could do to, to their economy. They're one of the models. Uh, because right now we, we still see nature as something that uh, is for free and so right. it there is no price tag on it and so we don't value it and so actually uh, uh, bringing our nature into our economic circle or including it in, in the circuit more and adding price tax uh, tax to uh, natural assets enabling people to make money with it on the other hand of course is increasing the or um, is giving the motivation to protect the nature because uh, you're making money with it so right. um, i think this is going to be one of the key um, uh, uh, key instruments to make our planet more sustainable Right. And, you know, going off of that, it seems like uh, there's a lot more resources at hand than we've, uh, I think, originally uh, in intended or, or, or realized there. 
And there's a lot of there's a lot of great things out there that I think people should certainly know about. You mentioned the special type of seagrass, for instance, for I believe mitigating, you could say, the issues of excessive carbon, right? Mm-hmm. And then and then nowadays we also have uh, we also have technology as to you could say regenerable algae that could be used for various, you could say, uh, dietary and medicinal purposes as well. And this, this is, you know, this is deep sea algae that grows freely, at least for now anyway, grows freely in our, in our mm-hmm. oceans. Uh, we also have different types of, you could say, what's, the, what's the, uh, these alloy type uh, fibers that come from natural resources, like comes from even plants, bamboo, things like that. That can actually supplement uh, construction and buildings. Mm-hmm. These are, you know, natural. You could say natural building materials that are both safe to the environment, and mm-hmm. they're also safe to people as well. I mean, listen, don't get me wrong. I don't think there's any research that necessarily says concrete is carcinogenic or, or you know something that causes cancer in of itself. However, um, if there is a naturally existing or naturally you could almost say self-sustaining self-perpetuating resource that could be of as similar strength and quality as let's say steel or iron or things like that uh we are starting to discover those and they are starting to become more and more i guess you say part of our ecosystem so well anything that is cut done with that is done with plastic today can be done with wood right Absolutely. And, uh, and and other things. And with uh, cannabis, I mean, I'm not talking about yeah, right. uh, the enlightening uh, aspect of uh, yeah, the mind expanding functions or anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm talking about the uh, that it is very fast growing with a very, with a very strong structure and it, uh, it also can be used for almost everything. Um, so there's a lot of natural resources we can use, but of course, we, uh, we cannot pl- uh, plant half, uh, cannabis only uh, all over our planet. Uh, this would be very um, destructive too. So uh, sure. we need to balance and we have to see how much of these resources we actually we can grow in a way that we are not dest- uh, destructing it in the end again because by overusing Very good points, right. Through, through so that's, uh, this will be another problem. So basically, one of the, the answers I see, everybody says that urban centers will be uh, uh, will be the drivers for, for us. Yes, and I think that we will huge have huge vertical planning pan, uh, plans uh, right. where um, outside the city centers. So you don't need to transport it all across uh, the globe to provide the uh, to provide food to the people all, and all kind of foods. And so this gives the chance of growing plants in a very natural way for those people that can afford it. Of course, right. we are uh, we again are talking uh, class society and class culture, but I don't think there is a way of avoiding that. It was always like that, and um, I think um, anything else will, has been ut- utopy. And I think it will remain utopia. We just have need to find a way that uh, to, uh, that everybody can uh, can live in a in a good way. I mean, sure. we have to defeat uh, this um, this huge 
the lack of food and lack of water, what will be, be, become very soon a very huge problem. Right. We have to fight that. We have to find a solution that, but we will not be able to change uh, the uh, the rich people, poor well, rich people, not the poor people issue. Right. Or poorer people issue. Let's put it this way. But of right. course, we need to uh, to um, use a lot of effort to uh, to bring food to the people and to give them a a nice life. Yeah. So that they not uh, that they, that they don't need to fear not to get food, not to get drink, that they can afford uh, and that they can have fun. Yeah. Fun too. Right. Yeah. Abs absolutely. And. In your opinion, have you seen any issues or major pitfalls, as they say, as to, you could say, the green movement in the United States, in Europe, uh, or, you know, elsewhere as a, as a whole? Like, because one of the things that, com that comes to mind is, is that you made the example of, you could say, in Germany, the changing of the, you could almost say, the heating systems. You know, changing of the utilities to be more green friendly and how that is going to be a huge cost. It's going to raise the cost of housing. It's going to make probably going to make it harder for people to, you know, secure housing now as it would years ago. And perhaps one of the issues could be the fact that, sure, we could be moving towards green right now, but maybe the cost is a little too high. For society, and maybe there's another way to do it a bit slower. Well, um, the problem with uh, this is new technologies in construction. You know, where you always, when you develop them, you 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 need to refine finance the development cost, and right. of course, the people behind it with these ideas, they of course want to keep their revenues up uh, right. as long as possible. Sure. Uh, so uh, at some point, uh, these costs will come down because it will be it will become standard technology, and it will become normal, and we will find a way uh, find ways to to use it more economically. Right. Uh, the the question is how do we get there, um, and, and yes. that's a that's a question that is unsolved. Right. Because listen, I think we can all we can all recognize. A greener ecosystem is going to benefit everybody. It's going to be definitely. It's, it's, I think everybody to... will agree to that. Right. I, I guess my critique would be: it seems like this when you have a new technology like that, and let's say it's going towards like a mass adoption type of model. A lot of times, those costs are put off on you could say working class, middle class people just trying to you know pay their bills and survive. Hmm. And one of the one of the other problems we have, and um, I, is that also a lot of that it takes a time to adopt new technologies. Right. Uh, and uh, this is a major problem because I have I know a company. They come up with a new technology. They are under the ICU uh, one thousand okay. company list that can save uh, that can save the uh, the world, and they have a technology of cooling um, uh, server farms. Okay. And uh, by, by, by putting servers into a, a liquid. 
And by that, you don't need to pu push all the electricity in to, um, uh, to take the heat out again, for right. instance, and, and, and more issues. But right. try to explain the, the owner of a server farm that he should put his server into a liquid. Right. Absolutely. It, it's just, it, it's just a, a problem not yet solved. And it, it will be solved at some point. And at some point, people will realize the benefit of this technology when it is really as good as it, as it looks, as it, as it seems to be. But of right. course, in the beginning, it will be very hard to get early adopters to use it. And then right. it will take a long time till people realize, hey, this is really a good technology. And this is one of the other problems we are faced with, that, right. uh, that it will take a lot of time to change technologies, to change systems, because people just don't understand it. Right. And uh, this is another problem we need to tackle. And so I'm coming back to my issue of holistic innovation. Sure. That's where we are approaching, uh, or that's where we try to... Um, to uh, create some impact to uh, contribute to a hopefully upwaving um, discussion. Right. And that's what the Holistic World Innovation Trophy is for. And we are just in the, in the third season now doing this show. Not sure yet if we will do it in Barcelona again. Maybe we do it someplace else. Well, I was going to uh, say, we're right, you... uh, we yes. right now in very fruitful discussions. So I only can say, watch me and you'll be surprised, I hope. Well, the, you, you took the next point right out of my mouth. If you could talk about the, you know, if you could talk about the show and if you could talk about the podcast that you are, that you are doing and some of the things you hope to achieve soon. Well, basically the podcast I'm doing, together with a partner, a public, a publisher from the financial industry here in Frankfurt. Yes. The, uh, we call it To the Power of More. That, that's the English title and yes. Zwei Hochmeer in German. And some of the, uh, the episodes are in German, others are in, are in English. And we are bringing innovators together or we are inviting innovators from very different fields or, um, you know, or people that think they have issues to talk about innovation. So we had a rabbi okay this was, a, this was a German episode where we were talking sure. about why do we have all these problems with racism and uh, and uh, anti-semitism uh, why has it suddenly become such a big, a big issue again we uh, but we also are talking to to crypto pioneers we are talking to uh, artificial intelligence pioneers we are talking to to all kind of of people right we had uh, Ralph Shami um, on the show, and okay. um, and and all these kind of people talking about environment, talking about new technologies. So it's it's just giving, uh, well, not a full picture, but a fuller picture of right. innovation. And of course, for me, it is a great, uh, great uh, possibility to to keep my network alive. That's wonderful. And if at some point later, if you can send me the uh, the links to your podcast, the links to your show, I'd love to post it up on my platform so more people can get some eyes on 
the episodes you're doing, some of the guests that you're having on. Yeah, set, right it, now it's a, well, we are changing things now, okay. but uh, uh, so there's not a lot of stuff going on right now. But we, we will be back soon, and uh, with, with, with with great um, with great new guests, I hope. And right. yes, but just look uh, look at the library. There is uh, there really is great insightful um insightful episodes like we had a great uh, episode on the space industry okay with shelly brunswick from the uh, from the space agency in the us and right so so a lot of great stuff uh, i'm sure your audience also would like to look at yes i think so and uh like i said uh keep me updated on when you really get things into gear and like i said i'd love to at least you know put some information out there for People who, let's say, hey, they like my show, I think they'll like yours as well. Uh, bringing in, you know, let's say a variety of interesting guests to talk about a broad amount of things. I, I think that is something audiences both here, both in the EU would certainly enjoy. So I just want to say, Dieter, it was an absolute pleasure having you uh, come on to my show again. And, and it's great seeing you again, uh, especially since, uh, since our time at D4A and in Barcelona. I'm looking forward to uh, running into you again later this year. I know with uh, D4A, I think some things are kind of thrown up in the air, but I do know that there's going to be some kind of event going on that week instead. That's going to be. Called I don't have else. the name yet. I have. Right. I really have to ask uh, the, the organizer, uh, sure. but it will be almost the same dates and in the same location. So we could uh, we, we could have a wine or another. Another right. edition of the right. Vinegars. The Vinegars, that's right. <laughs> and by the way, I, I think you're you're sitting on a million dollar idea. So I think you and I should talk more about that <laughs> offline. <laughs> well, that's a, we that's, should, a, we should, that's a franchise just, waiting I'm, to blow up. I'm not up. giving away what the Vinegars are. <laughs> right. The Vinegard idea. Listen, it, for now, it is top secret and semi-confidential, but you will all be hearing about it very soon. I, I will say well, this. Well, and uh, I really enjoyed being on your show. And Thank you. yeah, let's do things together. I, I think there is a lot of potential. And I'm really looking forward to it, to keep, their, to, to keep the discussion up. Absolutely. So uh, listen, Dieter, have a great day. Have a great week. You and I will talk later, and especially about especially about the Vinegards. There's so many avenues, so many ways to monetize that, so many money making opportunities within that. So we gotta we we got we gotta we gotta we gotta compare and share notes together later. Okay, I really enjoyed it. I think we had Likewise. a blast, and I hope we I brought so. something across to your audience. And uh, yes, I really enjoyed it. I know we did. Dieter, have an awesome day. We'll uh okay. we'll be talking later. Okay. <laughs> bye. Right, bye.